0: Welcome to the Management Insights Podcast Series hosted by McGraw-Hill Education. My name is Debbie Clare, Executive Marketing Manager for our Management Portfolio. Today's topic, Mindful Leadership. Our guest, Angelo Kinnicki. Thank you for joining us.
1: Glad to be here, Deb.
0: Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Okay, I graduated with my doctorate from Kent State University in 1982 spent my entire career at Arizona State University. I'm now an emeritus professor there and I've just returned back to Kent State to do some ad hoc teaching for them. In addition to being a professor, I am an active organizational consultant, have worked around the world, and a textbook author. Been an author for 35 years with McGraw-Hill and currently have two products, one in organizational behavior and another one principles of management.
0: Angelo I understand you're interested in mindfulness and its application to leadership. Can you tell me how you got interested in this topic?
1: Absolutely. So it first starts with leadership, and I became interested in leadership when I was a graduate student. But I'm really more interested in it today. And what interests me today is what's going on around the world. Let me tell you about a few research studies. The Edelman Institute did a study of 28 countries and several hundred thousand people and they wanted to assess what people thought about leaders, political and business. Some of the results indicated that less than 20% of these several hundred thousand people said that leaders tell the truth. So basically, they're saying 80% believe that leaders lie. 19% said that leaders make ethical decisions. Deb, that's horrible. 47% of them don't trust CEOs to do the right thing. That's awful. This is 28 countries. The Harvard Kennedy Center did a study in about 2012, and they found, as a national study in the U.S., that 69% of the respondents believe we have a leadership crisis in the U.S. Again, this is 2012, so put it time and place. They also say that, of this survey respondents, 30% 30 believe that U.S. leaders are effective. That means They think 70% are not. It doesn't stop there. The Gallup Institute, which has been studying employee engagement for many years, does global studies of engagement. Currently, data in the US indicates that roughly 32% of our workforce is engaged. 32%! That means 68% is not engaged at work. This is awful. This tells me we do indeed have a leadership crisis. That's why I'm interested. We need to do something for the betterment of our organizations, our citizens, and our planet. You know, Albert Einstein said, problems can't be solved by the same level of thinking that created them. We need a new form of leadership. I'm proposing that that new form would be mindful leadership. Now, mindfulness, so I can differentiate from leadership, I became interested actually when I was a grad student, and I became interested because at the time I was under a lot of stress, and as a mechanism to help me reduce my stress, I was taught how to meditate. So meditation is one way that one improves mindfulness, But so it started there, but what is mindfulness? Very clearly what it is. It is being aware and attentive to what is happening around us at a point in time. What it really amounts to is being present in the moment with intention and purpose. Let me give you an example of a lack of mindfulness, mindlessness. I just got on a plane, came to Chicago. We're boarding the plane, and there was a gentleman standing in the middle of the aisle with 50 people behind him who took off his jacket. Then he folds it up, and he puts it in the overhead bin. Then he puts up his carry-on bag. Then he sits down. Then he gets back up, grabs the coat, pulls out his phone. He forgot that. And he refolded it up and put it on. Sits down, gets back up. Meanwhile, the line is building and building and building. That's mindlessness, not paying attention to your social environment. That's mindlessness. So, mindfulness is being present in the moment, mindlessness is not. How did I get interested in merging them? Because what research and thinking suggest is that if we are mindful, we can be better leaders. And I'm excited to tell you how that's going to happen.
0: So how do mindfulness and leadership go together? They seem to be separate activities. That's what I thought when I first
1: began investigating them. But what brings them together is the concept of intentions. An intention is a thought in our mind that we want to do something. Here's what psychologists tell us. All-purposive behavior, When I say purposive, I mean behavior that you're exhibiting for a reason. All purposive behavior is driven by an intention. So if I want to lead in a better way, I have to have an intention to lead in a better way. If I want to be a better husband, I have to have an intention to do that. I want to be a better professor, I have to have an intention. So intentions drive behavior. Here's the link. What is mindfulness? Mindfulness is about having an intention to stay in the moment. So if I have an intention to stay in the moment, be present, be observant, and listen, what will happen is, I'm suggesting, that that will make me a better leader. It's the intentionality that's inherent in mindfulness and the intentionality that drives behavior that link these concepts. In sum, the essence of being a mindful leader is this. It begins by managing yourself. Mindful leadership is an inside-out job. My belief is you cannot lead externally. You cannot lead others until you can lead yourself. If you're a drunken bum, you can't lead others until you get your life under control. That's my belief. Inside-out job. Be mindful of who you are, what you're doing. That'll help you to be a more effective leader.
0: What is the foundation of being mindful? There are four sort of core
1: principles uh, that underlie mindfulness.
0: The first one is when I am mindful, just
1: think about this. If you're talking to someone, the first principle is it focuses your attention. So when you're mindful, you focus on the person you're talking to, and you don't think about your dog or your spouse, your boyfriend or your dinner. You focus on the person in front of you. First, first foundational principle. Second one. When we are mindful, we tend to suspend judgment, and that is a wonderful thing. Rather than going off emotionally or making snap judgments, if you're mindful, you pause, you consider, you think. Second principle is suspending judgment. Third principle, regulates emotion. You know, all of us have key words that set us off or phrases that make us angry. When we're mindful, we recognize when our emotions are rising, and we can control our amygdalas and have better emotional regulation. Third principle, four foundation. Fourth foundation is it enhances learning. Why? Because if I'm in the moment, I'm more willing to listen, to understand, and consider other views. So the four foundational principles, Deb, are focus attention, suspend judgment, regulate emotion, and enhance learning. Now you can see from those four things, if we were to all start doing this, how could you not be a better leader? you would be a better leader because it'll keep you in the moment paying attention to who's in front of you.
0: Angelo, why is it so hard to be mindful? Life,
1: life. Well, there's two big reasons, Deb. The first one is called attentional deficits. And what that is is the inability to focus, the inability to focus. Now, one of the biggest things that affects all of us in today's world is multitasking. We think we can do more than one thing at a time. Even I try it. The truth is research is crystal clear. We cannot multitask. You can think you're good at it all you want. Research says no. The brain is not wired for that. The only time that I have read that multitasking works is when one of the tasks is almost like a rote memory. It's so simple that you can do it. Now, you might say, hey, I can walk and text. Hey, you can, but you know what research shows? 10% of pedestrian accidents are because people are on their cell phone. So multitasking doesn't work. Now there's another thing. God, do I see this everywhere. FOMO, fear of missing out, addiction to my digital devices. I can't go without them. I had dinner the other night, and the people at the table couldn't keep their hands off them like they were gold and magnetic. FOMO, that's one of the big reasons. We just... These, these things have addic- addictive principles and we can't get away from it. So, attentional deficits. The second one really re- relates to the brain and how it works. And the second reason it's hard, it's called attentional hyperactivity. What that has to do with the way the brain is wired and the fact that mind wandering is so common. Now, mind wandering occurs because we have so much processing capability in our heads that in a normal conversation with someone, the person isn't speaking fast enough To occupy our brain. Therefore, what does it do? It thinks about dinner, my date last night, my clothes, somebody's mole on their face. We think about everything other than what I should be focusing on, which is the person across from me. Now, if you go, well, that doesn't happen much. Well, psychology professor uh, Dan Gilbert says, and his research suggests, that our minds wander 50% of the day. 50%. So think about that. If we're mind-wandering at work, we certainly aren't being productive. It is a serious problem. Now, you may wonder, what do we mind-wander about? Am I mind-wandering about my work? What Gilbert's research shows is no, we tend to mind-wander about personal stuff, like what's for dinner, where's my kids, how's the dog, these pants are tight, it's all that kind of stuff. So what mindfulness does, Deb, is it helps you recognize when your mind is shooting off and brings it back to where you need to be. It's like doing this podcast. If I let my mind wander, I'm not going to do a good podcast. So mindfulness helps you stay in the moment, keep present, and be more productive.
0: Angelo, what are the
1: benefits of mindfulness? You know, they are so substantial. The, The research is so clear on this. There's four primary areas. Let me go through them. The first one is physical and mental health. Research shows When people practice mindfulness techniques, which I will talk about in a moment, when they do, their physicality is better. They get sick less. Their immune systems are better. They get colds less. Their mental acuity is better. We can concentrate longer. We can can focus better. So physical and mental uh, benefits. And by the way, when you have these physical and mental benefits, what do you think it does to your interpersonal relationships? It makes them better. Because now you're attentive to your students, your spouse, your boyfriend, your cousins, whoever it might be. That's a clear benefit. Here's a second one. More effective communication. You can see it. If you're mindful and you're present and you're talking to someone... You're going to communicate better. I can't tell you how many times in my own marriage, which is 36 years, my wife has said, I told you that yesterday. She did, in fact, tell me that. But I was thinking about something else. I was mind-wandering. In and out it goes. This is not a gender thing. This is a mind-wandering thing. So by being mindful, you're a more effective communicator. Uh, Third, you balance your emotions. I mentioned this before about one of the foundations of it, but when I am mindful, I'm less likely to have my emotions go up and down and up and down and up and down, more balance, which is good, because when you have balanced emotions, guess what else you get out of that? Better decision-making. What leader does not want more effective communications and better decision-making? They all want it. The last benefit is performance and satisfaction. Yes, research shows that individual performance is enhanced when you're mindful, and people are more satisfied. Let me use a couple examples. Let's talk about individual performance. If you don't know who Pete Carroll is, he's the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. He brought in a consultant to teach football players mindfulness. You may go, what has that got to do with playing football? So think of it. If you've never played football, or if you've played football, you have your linemen, right? And each lineman on the offensive side is supposed to block a particular person, go in a certain direction. What Carol says is he wants every player to be mindful of what is your role in a play. Where are you supposed to go? What's in front of you? Who's to the right? Who's to the left? Be present and execute your task. He has brought in experts to train the players to be more mindful, and he says that that has helped them to win a Super Bowl. That's a real practical example. Here's another one I absolutely love. Goldie Hahn, the actress, if you can remember her. Goldie has created what's called the Mind Up Programme. She's implemented it around the world, several hundred thousand children. This is geared towards children. They have a 15-lesson plan approach teaching the kids mindfulness. Here's what they found. Optimism amongst the kids goes up. Happiness goes up. The use of empathy goes up. And guess what happens also? Their performance in the classroom goes up. And here's one really great thing that goes down. Bullying. Bullying. A real problem. When we're mindful a lot of positive results. That's the benefits.
0: How can people become more mindful? There's there's a variety of
1: different ways. The dominant way to become more mindful is to actively practice some form of meditation. Now, please don't confuse meditation with sitting in a lotus position and wearing robes or something. That's not what meditation is. What meditation really is is focusing. Now. The primary technique, the one I use and many people use, is breathing-based meditations, where you would sit in a chair. You can even lie down. I do both of them. And you focus on your breath. You focus on your inhale. You focus on your exhale. Sometimes I'll count the four and inhale, like one, two, three, four. Exhale, one, two, three, four. Breathing-based meditations. For the last four years, I taught a course in mindful leadership. We started every class, this is with MBAs, with meditation. At first, I thought I was a nutcase. What are you doing in here? I had one student say, we shouldn't be doing this in an MBA class. I said, enjoy it or get out. He stayed. But anyway, what I found is at first, they couldn't sit for longer than three minutes. Over the course of the semester, I got them meditating for 15 minutes by the end of the class. Breathing-based meditations. You focus on your breath. When intrusive thoughts of mind wandering come into your head, you just let them float away like a white cloud against the blue sky. Just go and say, oh, I hear that thought. Leave me alone. Breathing-based meditations. I encourage you, practice it, try it. If you feel like you would need help, there's wonderful apps out there. I have two of them on my phone that I use. One is one where a person is talking me through the practice because sometimes I want someone to talk to me. I have another one that's simply a breath-based one where you set it for how many, how many seconds you want your breaths to last, and the uh, app takes you through breath-based meditations. Deb, that's the, the dominant way to use it. I've found in my own life, the more I do it, the better I feel. Now, people say to me, I don't have the time. And I say to anyone who's listening, you don't have 10 minutes. You don't have 10 minutes to sit and be quiet. Please do it. It'll be better for you and those around you. The other way, Deb, that's really, really good, this is actually my favorite, are walking meditations. Now, people go to me, walking meditations? What do I do? Stare at my feet? Well, some forms of walking meditations, you can literally stare at your feet and and feel your your foot on the ground, and you focus on that feeling. That's one way to do it. I don't do that one. My walking meditations are frequently when I walk my dog, Gracie, uh, with my wife, Joyce, And we'll be walking, and sometimes I'll say, okay, I'm going to do a little meditation here. And what I do is I focus on the sounds. So I listen for birds, trees rustling in the wind, workers, mechanical objects. And you would be amazed if you take your brain and let it focus on sound. It takes everything else away and leads to a sense of calming. You can do it anywhere. I used to do walking meditations in between my classes on campus. It's a great way for me to center myself. So there's the two dominant ways. But I've just learned through some work I'm doing in uh, the United Arab Emirates that there's a third form of meditation that's very powerful, and that's prayer. I'm not advocating any religion, but if you think about what prayer is, if you are a spiritual person, prayer is nothing more than focusing. Anything that gets you to focus is a meditative technique. One of the things that I use on myself and I taught my students is to take an object in your hand. I like to use a stone. And when I want to really refocus my thoughts away from fear and anxiety, grab that stone, feel the texture, the curves, and focus on how that feels. It centers your brain, your heart, your body, and you feel great. So, Deb, in conclusion, um, I believe we need a new form of leadership in the world, and I would really love it to be a mindful-based approach where we are considerate of what's going on around me, and we do things that try to be for the greater good.
0: Angela, thank you so much for your insights and advice on mindful leadership. I know I'm going to try some of the techniques you shared today. And to our listeners, check back for future topics and spread the word to your colleagues about our podcast series. Why? Because learning changes everything.